We, we good to go? All right. So anyway, we're in Romans chapter 14, if you're listening to us online tonight. And we're continuing a lesson that we started last Wednesday night on uh, Christian liberty and uh, just the importance that there is in the day and age we live. I was telling them uh, just a few moments ago, I don't believe in my lifetime, which has been uh, you know a, a number of years now, <laughs> I don't believe that I've ever heard uh, one whole message on the topic of Christian liberty. Uh, we, we do preach on all other things, it seems like, but when it comes to this thing of liberty, uh, we sometimes will dabble with it, maybe touch on it a little bit. One of the great distinctives of our Baptist faith, believe it or not, is that we have individual soul liberty. The, the idea that every man has the right to take the Bible and let the Holy Spirit deal with his own conscience from this book. And we as Baptists strongly encourage and teach our people that you ought to have a Bible on your laps. You ought to be able to see these things for yourself and let the Holy Spirit of God bring that truth to light in your life. And <clears throat> so we believe in this. Uh, at least, at least by word, we say that we believe in this. Uh, we believe in the King James Bible here at Keith Ice Baptist Church. We've taught on that very clearly, how that we believe that not only is it inspired, but it has been preserved uh, in our language, it has been preserved without error. Uh, we don't believe that there's any mistakes in it. And um, However, while we do say that, oftentimes in practice... Um, there are a lot of times Baptist folks believe in the King James Baptist version. And uh, because there are things that we've been raised on, there are things that we've been taught that the Bible refers to. In fact, Jesus uh, would scold sometimes the religious leaders of the day in his earthly ministry because they took the commandments of God that were given, that were very clear, and then they added to that the traditions of men. They began interpreting God's commandments and placing burdens and things on uh, the Jewish people that God had never intended for there to be laid upon those people as a burden. Now, I will say this at the onset, uh, bear with us and, and don't call me a heretic or walk out of the service or turn off the, the set thinking we're some kind of a heretic because I want us to make sure that what we look at is God's Word. So, so often <clears throat> we, uh, we believe that uh, the Bible is the sole authority of faith and practice, except when our traditions are in contradiction to it. And that's even though we don't say it, a lot of times that's the way we live. And uh, I want us to take an honest look. I want us to come, and, and I want you to, uh, you know, this isn't, um, you know, looking at what does, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, of uh, Psalm 119, 135 tonight, uh, before I came over. By word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And yet so oftentimes, again, in our King James Baptist version, we say um, our pastor is a, light unto, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, or our, or our, our association or our group is. Can I tell you this? When it comes down to it, if there's a, a disagreement between your pastor and this book, the book is right. If there's a disagreement between the association of the group of churches we fellowship with and this book, this book is right. And we will always come back to that. And so when it comes to the issue of Christian liberty, uh, I want us to look at some things. Now, when we deal with this topic, we are not talking about liberty for interpreting doctrine however you want. Uh, the Bible says no scripture is given by, uh, in, is, is 
by any private interpretation. Scripture is not uh, by any private interpretation. The truth is the truth. The doctrine is settled, and there's no um, no interpreting of that as far as we're concerned. We believe that we have uh, pure doctrine because we have a pure word. Uh, but we are dealing here with convictions and standards, things that we have the Holy Spirit of God convict us about and we make decisions on. Okay, so bear with us on this. Now, Paul is going to use two different terms here. He's going to use the term weak and he's going to use the term uh, strong. Uh, and he does not mean that, um, he doesn't demean one or the other. In fact, we're going to see something here in just a little bit that I mentioned last week. And if you missed it, I don't want you to miss it. Uh, and we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. But uh, I do want to say this, that all of us, uh, when it comes to application of Romans chapter 14, all of us will find ourselves both in the weak category in some areas and in the strong category in some areas. Uh, it, it all depends on where God has taken us in the Christian liberty that we have. So let's take a few moments and look here in Romans chapter number 14. And we're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. We're going to try to get through it all tonight. If we don't get far enough tonight, we'll finish it up and kind of conclude and wrap everything up into a neat package uh, next Wednesday. Last week we dealt with the issue uh, in the Corinthian church of eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And Paul addressed that. He said, look, the idol is nothing. It's stone. It's wood. There, we know as Christians we have knowledge. He said, be careful, though, because that knowledge will puff us up and we'll think that we're something more than we are. No, we just understand that that idol is nothing. That's not really a God. But to somebody, it is a God. And if that offends that person who came out of that paganism, that idolatry, to eat that meat that was sacrificed to him, then Paul said, I won't eat meat the rest of my days so that I am not a stumbling block to them. Did Paul have liberty to eat the meat? Sure he did. It was, not, it was not unclean for him to eat that. It was nothing wrong with him to eat that. Would it have been wrong for the person with the conscience against it to eat it? Absolutely, because he had a conscience against it. And so the question came up last week, and this is what I want to emphasize. When Paul referred to the weaker and the stronger last week, which one was right? The truth is they both were. One was right for, for following the conscience that they had. Uh, they'd been saved maybe from a life of paganism, and probably in the Corinthian church they were. That was a very pagan city, and given holy to idolatry. They had a lot of idolatry going on there. And uh, the Christians that came out of that uh, would say, you know what, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that, so I'm setting my standard. I'm not eating meat sacrificed to idols because that means something to me. There's something in my belief system that held to there was something there. I don't want to be accused of worshiping that idol in that way. To Paul, it wasn't a problem. He wasn't saved from idolatry. He was saved from Judaism. And uh, he didn't have idols. And so to him, eating the meat was nothing wrong with that. Neither one was wrong in the issue. However, the Bible did teach us that if Paul would have eaten the meat and therefore offended his brother and caused his weaker brother to go against his conscience and cause him to sin, that that would have been sin for Paul to do that. So eating the meat was not the sin, but the offense of his, of his weaker brother was the offense. We're going to see something very similar to that in Romans chapter number 14. So let's take a moment to look here. The Bible says, him that is weak in the faith. Okay, very important that we understand we're speaking here of someone who is saved. Him who is weak in the faith. We're not talking about an unsaved person here. We're talking about someone who is in the faith. He's weak in the faith, 
but he is in the faith. Okay, so bear with us on this. Him that is weak in the faith, notice what it says here, receive ye. <laughs> okay, uh, there's some things that we have personal standards about, maybe things God has dealt with our hearts. Now, I'm not asking you to, to vocalize these things. I'm going to throw a couple of them out to you. Um, how about um, how about tattoos? Okay, um, uh, trying to think of a couple others that we could do. Um, uh, long hair, okay, long hair. Uh, so many other things. I, I here, let me. I, I actually wrote a couple of them down so I wouldn't forget them, and then I forgot them. Uh, all right, how about this? How about uh, there's some people out here who believe that you ought to have your services. Uh, on the on the Sabbath, the original Sabbath, which was Saturday, some people say, "Well, you ought to have it on Sunday." Is there a biblical reason? Eh, it probably is, and we hold to Sunday because that was the example of the New Testament Christians. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. There were several reasons we decided to go with Sunday. Does that mean that somebody who says, "No, we're going to worship on Saturday," uh, is is not going to heaven? No, no, that's not at all. By the way. Uh, what about, uh, do we have to have three services on Sunday? What about a church who only has one service on a Sunday? Uh, what about churches who don't have Wednesday night service? When I, I mean, I was from down south. Now, let me tell you something. You don't mess with the down south schedule. You had Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, you Sunday school. You had a Sunday service at 11 o'clock. And I'm going to tell you something. You did not mess with Sunday night church. It was at 7 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Sunday night church was at 7 o'clock every Sunday night in South Florida. You cross the, the Florida-Georgia line, oh boy, there was a big difference. Six o'clock on Sunday night, and boy, don't you ever tell them it could be seven. I mean, you'll cause a church split over that, that it wasn't seven o'clock. So, you know, time of the church, the days that we do. Um, I, remember, I remember years ago, um, there was a big issue about preachers who would get up in the pulpit and preach and wear a colored shirt, uh, not have a white shirt on. There still are churches like that. That if I if they invited me to preach there and I walked in and I wore what I'm wearing tonight, they would say, "Brother, go down to Walmart, and get you a white shirt, and come back and preach." Um, are these things we're talking about standards here? We're talking about things that are convictions. Now I'm not going to go into every one of them. I'm not going to pull some of them that are probably even the more controversial ones out. Suffice to say that we all have them. We all have convictions. We all have standards. Understand this. That under grace, we have liberty. We don't have to have those in order to be saved. Amen? We do need to have some of them, and I believe the Bible teaches this, to glorify God and to walk with Him in such a way that is pleasing. We're going to look at this a little bit. So don't misunderstand. When we deal with the topic of, of uh, liberty, we are not giving license to say, go out here and live however you want to. But we are saying there is liberty. And some of the things that we hold to uh, become very controversial because of some mismanagement of those things. I want us to understand those truths tonight. So let's take a look here. The Bible says in verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. So if we have somebody come into this church who's a new Christian, they just got saved, their life is a wreck, uh, maybe they're, they're not cleaned up the way that we expect them to be, they're not like us, we don't hand them a list of churches that they can go to down the road that they'll be more comfortable in. They're welcome in this church. Because the Bible tells me, and such were some of you. I, we used to be that way. And I'm thankful somebody had enough sense and enough compassion on me 
to take me in. Now, they weren't condoning my sin, but they certainly taught me. Uh, nor do we come to them at the front door the second or third week they attend and hand them a list of the rules and the standards we expect from them in our church. We give them a King James Bible and a, a Holy Spirit-filled Sunday school teacher and two years in a Sunday school class, and God will take care of that. And they'll end up having convictions, and they'll end up having standards, not because we, we legalized it and said, you have to do this to be a part of us, but now they do it because they love God and they want to glorify Him with their life. You see the difference? I understand. Having standards, by the way, is not legalistic. Unless we take the conviction and the standard that God has given to us and we use our life in the standard that we have as the rule of measuring and evaluating other people, that becomes a problem. Notice what he says here. Uh, receive uh, uh, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. We don't take them in and begin to dispute with them right off the bat. Uh, and, and, and Paul calls them doubtful disputations. In verse number 2 he says, For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is, notice he uses the term weak here, but he's just using this to differentiate basically. One who is weak eateth herbs. Let him not that eateth despiseth him, despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. If God, if God allowed him into his own family, can't we let him into the church? Uh, I, I, that, that, that's, uh, we ought, we ought, okay? Who art thou, notice this, verse number 3, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? What right have you and I to judge any other man? We don't know all the circumstances of that person's life. We don't know what God has saved them from their background, what's going on in their life. We have no idea how to judge correctly. Not only that, but understand this, that our theology that we have right now in our lives, if you were to take a, 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 a sampling of our theology, where we stand on issues tonight, I'll tell you this right now, at least in my life, they're, they're a lot different than they were when I first got saved. There's been some growth there. There's been some things that have happened in my theology. Understand this, that our theology will never be the test or the measuring tool to judge someone else by. Because our, our theology is tainted. We still have the old nature in us that taints our theology. Uh, we, we have uh, maybe the, the traditions or the heritage of the, the churches we grew up in that taint our theology sometimes. Maybe it's the family we, we were born into and grew up in. Uh, the, the teachings or maybe the beliefs or the positions that family had that, that skew our theology. And so oftentimes, if we're not careful, we will come to God's Word and we will say, okay, here's what I believe, and I'm going to only look for Scriptures that support what I believe. If there's anything in there, contrary-wise, we're not going to look at those. That's why I believe a lot of preachers in our situation don't teach on this topic very much. Because it doesn't hold to what our traditions have been. Now, will it lead to the, to the traditions? I believe so, if rightly practiced. But it doesn't happen immediately, and it doesn't happen automatically in, in a, a new Christian's life, or even a carnal Christian that maybe has been saved for a while and never grown. Very important that we understand this. So, the, the thing that we judge by is not, not our theology. Not, not what I think about the subject. 
That's never the rule. That's never the standard. That's not the tape measure I use to measure that person up and say, oh, he's a good Christian because he agrees with all the things I agree with. Or he disagrees. Boy, that person, oh, oh, yeah, he might be better off at the church down the road because he certainly doesn't agree with where I stand on this issue. Wait a minute. You could take every single one of us in here, list 20 issues of Scripture, and not one of us would agree in every point. Not going to happen. But we're all like-minded, and we're all like-hearted, and we're all striving to make sure our lives come into line with this book. So the Christian life is a growth of our theology. As we have more illumination from Scripture, as the Holy Spirit of God teaches us more of Scripture, our theology begins to grow, doesn't it? And that, that growth is, is something that God does in my life. Now, I will say this. There are people that, in this church probably, may be miles ahead of me theologically in their growth. There may be some people that I may be ahead of in theological growth. There may be people you're ahead of, or different folks are at different levels in that area. What Paul is getting at here is, listen, don't judge. Understand, he's writing this to the Romans. At this time period, Titus is, uh, 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 I'm sorry, uh, Nero is uh, persecuting the, the Jews especially and the Christian Jews terribly. And a lot of the Christian Jews at the time that Paul wrote this had abandoned this church in Rome and had scattered. And the Gentile Christians were the ones that were still there and they were still gathering together. And now as, as Nero passes off the scene... Some of these Jewish Christians are coming back into the church, and now there's a rift between the Gentiles and the Jews, almost like a power struggle here. Because there were some that felt like, boy, we're here, and others that say, no, no, we're here, and we're here, and everybody had their own way. In fact, Paul addressed it. He said, some of y'all say, I'm of Cephas. Some of you say, I'm of Paul. Some of you say, I'm of Apollos. Some of you say, I'm of Christ. He said, the truth is you're looking at the wrong thing. He said, all of us are growing, all of us are, are attaining, all of us are achieving. So he tells us here in verse 3, he says, or verse number 4, he says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Whose servant are you? Are you Pastor Greg's servant? <laughs> no, not at all. Are you Keith Heights Baptist Church's servant? Not at all. Are you your brother or sister's servant? No, whose servant are we? Whose I hope we're the Lord Jesus Christ's servant. If there's any person that ever has a right to judge any one of us, it's him. Now notice what he says here. To his own master, he standeth or he falleth. Now, again, in verse number 1, verse number 2, God has received him. God has allowed him to come into his family. God has taken him in. God is allowing him to be a servant. Now, he's directly answerable to God, not to you and I. We don't take the convictions and the standards we have and look down our nose at somebody and say, because they don't have those same ones in their life, they are wrong. No. Because I promise you, there's somebody in this world that is beyond where we are in their theology that would look at us and under that same logic could say, we're wrong because we don't have the same standard they have. So we don't answer to one another. God makes that very clear. We answer only to Christ. Very important that we understand this. This is how the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church could have fellowship and be of one mind and one accord because they understood liberty. 
They understood that there are some people that are going to understand some things, some people that aren't there yet. And in all of that, we're to help one another and to edify one another. Now notice what he says here in verse number 4. <clears throat> to his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. The word holding up means to undergird or to help or to build up. It's a similar word to our word edify. Uh, because God is able to make him stand. God is able to put some standards and some convictions in that man's heart as Scripture becomes more and more illuminated to him. As he gets in this book, as he's uh, discipled along by caring and loving Christians. Amen? You know, one of the greatest travesties, I, I heard a, a, a fellow this week make mention, and I wish I could quote it the way he, he worded it because it was so powerfully worded. But he said, you know, the, the scandals in the, in the church leaders that seemed like there were uh, in the nationally known leaders in the 70s and 80s did not damage the cause of Christ uh, any more. In fact, they, they, this fellow felt like those, all those scandals that happened on a national level damaged the cause of Christ less than the damage that is caused by how Christians inside the church treat one another. I heard him say that statement. I thought, well, what a, what, a horrible, what a horrible thought. And yet how true it seems. We begin to nitpick one another for not being all that we are. And the truth of the matter is we have no right to judge that. So the Bible tells us here, verse number 5, One man esteemeth one day above another. Uh, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in your mind. In whose mind? In our own mind. Let every man be persuaded. That sounds to me like this is my conscience being worked on by the Holy Spirit of God. Everyone being persuaded in his own mind. So we have days that some people say, well, boy, we can't, we can't look at that day. That day's oh, no, 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 not that day. And others say, you know what, I have liberty in Christ. I can do that day. You say, which one's right? Both. One has a conscience for it. One has a conscience against it. Both must follow their conscience that's been taught by the Holy Spirit of God. Now notice this. Verse number 5, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, and he for he giveth uh, God thanks, and he eateth not. To the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. Paul was saying, listen, you got weaker brothers, you got brothers that believe in liberty, you have some that, he uses two different distinctions here, those that are living, those that are dying. Now, which one is which? I don't know which one he's saying is living and which one's dying, but apparently one of them <coughs> is one that they said uh, is dead and one that is uh, living. And notice this, he says, whether you choose to be the one that's in the dying area, you're doing it unto the Lord. If you're the one that's in the living area, you're doing it unto the Lord. For to this end, notice this, Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be Lord both of the living, or the dead and living. Now, I want you to notice very, very closely these next four verses. 
And I believe the key to, to Romans 14 is found in these four verses and the beginning part of chapter number 15. Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of pastor. No, no, no. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of... Put your name in there. Do they have to stand before your judgment seat? No, they don't have to stand before your judgment seat. Whose judgment seat are they standing before? They're just standing before the judgment seat of who? By the way, who are we standing before? Are we standing before the person next to us that we're trying to impress? Who are we standing before? The judgment seat of Christ. So notice Paul says here, verse number 10, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Verse number 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to your pastor, to you. Who's, he going to bow, who's it going to bow to? It's going to bow to God, isn't it? And every tongue shall confess to who? To who? God. Are we starting to see the pattern here? The, the judging that goes on when it comes to convictions and standards within our midst, that is up to God. That is not up to you and I. Notice what he says here. So then every one of us shall give an account of our brother, God, boy, I'm glad, I'm glad I got my chance to stand before you. Let me tell you about Brother Harold over here. I mean, I'm gonna, let me tell you about Corey. Let me use him. That's a good one. Boy, I got a long list for him. Let me tell you, Lord, let me tell you all this stuff I have found over the years. Is that what we're going to do? No, we're going to be giving an account of who? This guy right here. Not, not you. I will. We're going to give an account of himself. Three verses Paul deals with. You're not to judge your brother. You're not to judge your brother. You're not to judge your brother. You're going to stand before God. You yourself are going to stand before God. He's going to stand before God. Now notice what he says here in verse number 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. He said, listen, y'all been doing this. Cut it out. That's the southern way of saying what Paul said. You can find that in the Greek. Y'all cut it out now. That's what he's saying. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. Our ears are perking up. We're Baptists. Woo, we get to judge. Woo, that's our favorite thing to do. We love judging. All right, Lord, let me see. What do you tell me? I get to judge. But judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or occasion to fall in his brother's way. Oh, ugh. you mean i got to judge what I do, Lord? That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? The only thing I get to judge is what did I do to my brother? Did I create a stumbling block for him? Now, standards, right or wrong, we all have them. Is my judging him by my standards creating a stumbling block? Oh, yeah. Because that's not what we're supposed to be judging. We're supposed to be judging, what am I doing? Am I helping my brother? Am I edifying him? Am I doing what God is doing for him? We read in the early part of this chapter that God is able to help him, to, to grow him, to edify him. Am I going to assist God in that? Am I going to help him in every way possible? Sure I am. 
I'm not going to kick him out. I'm not going to toss him down. I'm not going to throw a rock at him and say, well, you, brother, you ought to just know this stuff. You ought to know that, hey, if you don't have a bald head on top, you're not spiritual. I, you know, we use that. I was talking to Brother Harold the other day. You know, the Bible says it's shame for a man to have long hair. That's not in dispute. But when you get people out here that says, okay, if the sideburn comes down more than the middle of your ear, then you're wrong. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Didn't see that one in there. So it maybe comes to the bottom of my ear. I'll give you another for instance. Most people know I'm divorced. God had to really work on my heart in some areas on that for a number of months. But I went to uh, a meeting of preachers a number of years ago. And when the moderator of the meeting found out that I was coming to the meeting, that I was going to be in attendance, and all I was doing was coming to attend. I, I didn't want to be on the platform. I wasn't planning on being on the platform. I wanted to get a blessing out of it. And when the moderator found out that I was going to be at the meeting and in the meeting, he told all of the other preachers, he said, if you're up there on the platform, do not call on Brother Boer to pray in the service publicly because he's been divorced. I don't care where your position on divorce is, but for him to take his standard of it and say, I could not pray, was stepping beyond Scripture. You say, well, where do you stand on that? I have liberty in it, so that's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, other people may not. Very important. There's sometimes that God gives us liberty to hold in check our liberties. You say, why would we do that? So that I don't do what's said in verse number 13. But judge this rather that no man put a, what? Stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother way, brother's way. So here we go. Up until now, there's some people probably been listening to the message saying, boy, he's, he's really saying that we shouldn't have any standards. No, no. You've missed the whole sermon if that's what you've gotten. I'm saying God puts the standards in the heart, and he will as we grow in Scripture. Can we help nurture somebody along in that? Absolutely. Do we measure them and judge them by that? No. Notice what it says here. I'm not to put an occasion for a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in my brother's way. So while I may have liberty in an area, if I know that my brother is offended by that, I also, because of my liberty, have the liberty to say, I'm not going to express that liberty publicly so that I am not a stumbling block or an offense to that brother. Does that require me to have a standard beyond what my liberty allows? It may. It may. Look what it says here in verse number 14. Paul says this, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. That, my friend, is a strong, strong statement. Paul isn't saying, I learned this from the apostles. Paul isn't saying, I learned this from my pastor or my Sunday school teacher. Paul says, what I'm getting ready to tell you in verse number 14, I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus 
that there is nothing unclean of itself, but, but, to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So let me ask you this question. If somebody does feel like that is a sin, or that is an unclean thing in their life, and because of my liberty and them seeing me do it, they say, oh, I think I would like to try that. And they go out and try it. For me, it would not be sin. According to this, for them, it would be sin. Do you see the difference here? Some people are going to say, well, then you're saying that there's sin is subjective. No, no, no. I'm talking about the difference in our, our conscience that God has dealt with us in this area of liberty on. Because we're going to see here in just a minute what makes it sin. All right? So bear with me. Hang in there. I'm not her heretical yet. Okay? There's still more. As Paul Harvey would say, let's look at the rest of the story. Okay? But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Boy, there's the first word, first time this word has shown up now. Charitably means that it's not only just love, but it's my love in action. My display of my love to him. Uh, whoa, wait a minute. Where did this come in? We were talking here about legalism. We were talking about uh, the legalities of, of standards. And, and what? Well, now we're going to verse it against love? Maybe there's something to be learned by this. Let's see what it says here. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let, then not, let not then your good, my liberty, be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, for, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We've completely misconstrued some things. Hold your place here for a minute and turn with me to uh, Mark chapter number 7. Mark chapter number 7. Jesus, speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, these fellows who were so uh, pious, they were so holy in their living. By the way, if you ever noticed this, Christ never did, never one time in His ministry did He condemn them for what they did outwardly. They were, they were clean outwardly. Even Christ commended them for that. He said, outwardly you're clean. But He did condemn them for what they were inwardly, didn't He? Now notice what He says here. Let's start in verse number... Um, oh, let's start in... Uh, verse number 9, And he said unto them, Full well, ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. So we have here a distinction between what God commanded and what they had created as tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die to death. But we say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, uh, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. In other words, there was a, a loophole in the whole, you're not supposed to disrespect mom and dad thing. Verse number 13, And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your what? Making the word of God of none effect through your... Tradition? You mean it's possible for you and I to cause the Word of God not to be effectual if we're following our tradition instead of the Word? Well, absolutely. Which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. 
And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is, what's the next word here in verse 15? There is what? Nothing. What does nothing mean? Dig down in the Greek. What does it mean? Nothing. Okay. There is nothing from, what's the next word here? Without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they, uh, they that defile the man. They were talking about things that they would consume, the washing of cups and dishes. You read up a couple verses above where we started. About unclean things being taken into their bodies. And Christ said, listen, you've missed it. Yeah, there was a Levitical law years ago about this stuff, but you've missed what it was trying to teach you. It's not what you take into the body that is unclean. It's what comes out from the heart that is contaminated, that is unclean. So let's go back to Romans 14 for a moment, and we'll finish up here tonight. If you bear with me just for a little bit longer. So, verse number 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not about the food. It's not about what you drink. It's not, not about your keeping the one day or not keeping the day. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Think of those three things. Righteousness in the Holy Ghost. As the Holy Ghost deals with our heart in the area of righteousness, we're to be obey, obedient to it. Our hearts are to long for that. By the way, it's not very long after being saved and the Holy Ghost begins to live inside of us that some things we used to do start making us feel uncomfortable. He teaches us in righteousness. Peace, one with another. And by the way, only as we have the Holy Spirit's righteousness, not the righteousness that's demanded of us by all our peers, but His righteousness, and only as we have uh, His peace in our lives can we really have the joy of the Christian life. It's amazing to me how many people suffer through the Christian life because they're constantly going around measuring everybody around them by what their standards are or their convictions are. Should we have standards? Absolutely. Should we have convictions? Absolutely. As the Holy Spirit teaches them to us, we better say yes, Lord, to that. I love what Abraham said when God came to him in the Old Testament and called his name and said, Abraham, before Abraham even knew what God was going to say, he said, here am I. And when God puts something on our hearts, our answer ought to already be made up in our minds. If he shows me something from this book, my answer is already yes. Yes, we ought to have standards. Yes, we ought to have convictions. And I've had people say, well, Brother Greg, why don't you preach on specific standards anymore? Because I am afraid that somebody will take that standard and have it because Brother Greg preached on it and taught on it. I want that standard to be something that God has put in their heart, that they look at and they say, I love God with all my heart, and I want to please Him, and I want to honor Him, and I want to glorify Him. And the best way I know to do that is to have this standard in my life. Now it's done out of love. Not because I was legally required to. Verse 18, for he that is in these things serveth Christ, or he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for what? Strife? 
Is that what it says? Contention? Stirring up things in the church. Boy, we can really stir some things up, can't we? No, it says that we're to make for things that... What? What is it? Peace. Let's therefore follow after things which make for peace. And things wherewith one may edify another. If I'm a more mature Christian, and I see somebody that, in my opinion, doesn't have the same standards I have, (laughs) number one, I've already judged them, haven't I? But if I do see a weaker brother, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to edify them. Brother, I'm praying for you today. Boy, I'm telling you what, I saw something in the Bible today that blessed me. You've been getting anything out of the Scriptures lately? Man, I'm glad. Isn't it wonderful to walk with the Lord? Let Him teach us things. By the way, notice I don't tell Him what my standard was. I let Him get that from the Holy Spirit. As He brings God's Word into it. Now notice He says here, verse number 19, Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroyeth not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. By the way, this isn't Brother Greg saying this. It's in our King James Bible. It may not be in our King James Baptist Bible, but it is in our King James Bible. But it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother, what, stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Is there anything wrong with the drink or the wine in this, in this passage? No, you have liberty. What's the sin? Causing the brother to stumble or to be offended or to be made weak. That's the sin. Now notice what it says here in verse number 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. If God's put something in your heart that's a standard, a conviction, the Bible says have it to thyself before God. Practice it. Have it in your life. If somebody asks you about it, be ready to tell them, hey, this is what God's done for me. Absolutely. But to come out and tell somebody that they're not all they should be because they don't have the same standard you have, there's something wrong with that. It's not in this. In fact, it becomes offensive and would cause a stumbling block or an occasion to offend. Happy is he, notice verse number 22, that condemneth not himself in that thing which he is allowed. There's our liberty. So we don't condemn ourselves when we understand that there is liberty in it. Somebody may have another standard than that. But the Bible says, Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing wherein he is allowed. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth. Notice this, and this is the key to what makes it sin or not sin. Because he eateth not of what? Faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The faith that he has in, in, in Christ, the faith that he has in this book, has it shown him something that if he were to do it would be wrong according to his conscience? Then it is sin because it's not a faith. He's going against what God has already taught him. What about the person who has liberty? If he restrains himself, 
we have the liberty to hold in that liberty so as not to be offensive to the brother in Christ. Now notice what he says here, verse number 15, we're almost done. We then that are strong. So according to Paul's terminology here, the strong is the one who says he has liberty. The weak is the one who has what we would consider the more restrictive set of guidelines in their life. Again, just the way Paul differentiates, I'm not saying one is different than the other because we all are weak sometimes and we all are strong sometimes depending on where we're at in life. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So Paul says this, listen, you don't go to the other brother and say, listen, you need to get over it. There's liberty and there's Bible and you need to get over that. No, no. Paul says the burden of, of taking a load on is on the brother who has liberty. The burden is on the one who says, I've got liberty. He's the one that says, that Paul says, is to, to bear the infirmity, this conscience of the weak, and not to please ourselves. In other words, hey, I've got liberty in that. I could go out and enjoy myself in this area, and it may be offensive to this guy, but I believe that I have liberty according to Scripture. Paul says, no, no. If it's going to cause that brother to offend, then one with liberty, the strong one, is the one who is supposed to say, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to do it for my brother's sake. I don't want to be a cause of him being offensive to his conscience and committing sin. Let everyone, verse number 2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good. To what's the next word here? To edification. For even Christ, and this is it, our example. He always comes back as the example, doesn't he? For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. If Christ could suffer for our sakes, then we who have liberty can say, I can suffer, I can restrain myself, I can hold my liberty on the benefit and for the, uh, the edification on the behalf of my brother who does not have that. Their conscience is bothered by that. So while we have liberty, does that mean we get to go out and just live however we want? No. While we're not to judge our brother, we are supposed to judge what we do as to whether or not it's a stumbling block or an occasion of offense against them. So, that being said, does that often lead to me having a higher level of standards than liberty demands? Sometimes. Sometimes I will refrain from things that I know I have liberty in simply because I want to try to help my brother who is offended in that area. Do we understand the truth of this passage? Not taught very often, but it's here. It's in the Scriptures. And it's just as much there as church discipline. It's just as much there as if a brother is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. We're also to take weaker brethren... And we are to help edify them, both by the way we live in our liberty around them and the way that we conduct ourselves in edifying and helping them along. We're not to judge another man's servant. I've watched churches literally destroy themselves internally by one faction of people who felt that they were super spiritual. And they looked at another group and said, they don't have the same standards, they don't have the same convictions we have, and therefore they are not as spiritual. I understand that there are people who, with a high-handed 
rebellious spirit to God, live a carnal life. I think that's dealt with other places in Scripture. We're not talking about those folks. We're talking about a weaker brother who God is working in their heart. They're trying their best. They're learning Scripture. They're soaking themselves into God's Word. And they are maturing and growing daily, just like you and I are maturing and growing daily. We don't judge one another in those areas. We're not to do that. Uh, we're to pray for one another. We're to encourage one another and uh, help one another in these areas. All right? So I hope that will help. Uh, if there's anything that was unclear in that, bring it up to me, and we'll try to clarify it for next week. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. All right? I hope that will be a help to some folks. A very important truth that we do need to know. All right? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand this thing of spiritual liberty, having grace and charity for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I'm thankful someone had grace on me, that I, when I was not what I should have been, Lord, you still died on the cross for me. You still had hopes for me. You still saw that I could grow and I could become more of what I ought to be. Lord, may we look at one another that way with hearts that are yearning for them and encouraging them and helping them, laboring for them to grow and to see the Holy Spirit work in their lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand these truths. Bless us now as we are dismissed. Give us safety as we travel to our places. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.